This is the One Thing Podcast, where we teach you the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. My name is Jeff Woods. I'm the vice president here at the One Thing team. One of the ways that we try to bring value to you is through our monthly One Thing webinar series. Each month, we reach out to a best-selling author or some expert in their field, have a live interview with them where you're able to come and join us. In October, we featured Ray Bard, one of the most successful business publishers of all time. He also happens to be the publisher of The One Thing. He also happens to have published the best-selling sales book of all time, The Little Red Book of Selling. Ray and I had a conversation about what does it take to really write a bestseller? Now, for you who's listening to this, uh, this goes way deeper than just writing a bestselling book, which we know many of you have an interest in. You're also going to get inside of Ray's mind, which he is a marketing genius. You're going to hear all of the things that he looks for before ever putting pen to paper or writing that first word. This applies to your business, to the products or services you create. This is absolutely an incredible episode. So many people reached out after saying they loved it that we just knew we had to share it with you here on the podcast. A quick side note, Ray has just launched another bestseller called Fired Up Selling. It is a quote book for salespeople. So if you're the type of person who loves to find inspirational quotes, Ray put together an incredible book called Fired Up Selling, which you can get on amazon.com. With that, let's get into our monthly webinar with Ray Bard. Eating healthy is an investment. It's an investment in yourself, but it also often requires an investment of your time. But good news is Factor has delicious ready-to-eat meals that are ever fresh and never frozen. They're chef-created, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With Factor, you can choose from a weekly menu of up to 35 options, including popular things like Calorie Smart or Keto Direction or Protein Plus or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover 60 more add-ons every week like breakfast on the go, lunch snacks, beverages to help you stay fueled, feel good all day. And we know our listeners here at The One Thing are focused on health and health goals. That's why we choose to partner with Factor. And if you visit factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150, you can get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Again, that's factormeals.com slash ONE50 and use code ONE50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Ray Bard is the publisher of Bard Press. I'm not sure how familiar everybody is with the, the publishing model, but so many of these big publishing houses, they just publish tons of books every single year, just throw a bunch of get the wall, see what sticks. When you look at the big New York publishers, how many books a year do you think they're putting out? Well, a lot of the big ones, is, uh, probably 200 to 500 a year, something like that. 200 to 500 a year. And um, this was one of the things that was shocking for me when I started working with you guys. How many copies does an average book or an average business book sell in its life? The estimate, and it's a pretty good estimate for business books, that's what we're talking about today specifically, about 5,000 copies in its lifetime. In its lifetime. So from publish to no longer in print, 5,000 copies. 5,000 copies. And so if that's kind of the average, what does that growth curve look like? What's what's that next level where you say, all right, from 5,000, you go to what? 
Well, the power curve on that, I think that probably the next level up would be 10,000. If you sell 10,000 copies, that's pretty good. If you sell 50,000, that's excellent. If you sell 100,000, that's really good. If you sell more than 100,000 copies of a business book, that's pretty super. If you sell more than a million copies, that's rare air. Uh, in the history of business books, there's probably been maybe 30, 40, 50 books that have sold more than a million copies. And in the, the history of business books. Uh, yes, I think, that's, I think I could say that. Yeah. And then the ultimate is 10 million copies. And I think there's probably only three there. Seven habits of highly effective people who move my cheese. Well, I can actually think of a fourth one. Uh, Kawasaki's Reset Poor Dad, yeah. which is in kind of another category. Personal Finance, which is a business book. And One Minute Manager. Yeah. And so there's not, you know, that is really, you know, yeah. you're on Everest when you're up here at 10 million. Now, what's interesting is that we mentioned most publishers will throw a tremendous amount of books out there into the market and see what sticks. You have published 13 books or seven books in the last 13 years. That's right. Yeah. So Ray publishes basically a book every other year. He picks one book every two years. And of those seven, two have sold more than a million copies. So think about those numbers. The average publisher who puts 200 to 500 out a year and the average will sell 5,000 copies. Ray has published seven in 13 years and two of those seven have sold more than a million copies. And that would be your first book, The Little Red Book of Selling, right. which is the best selling sales book of all time. And this book right here. Mm -hmm. How the heck were you crazy enough to do that model? <laughs> well, it was uh, in the beginning, you know, it started to finish line. I mean, you start, well, part of any success is luck. I'd been into publishing work for a long time. I started a little publishing company and I sold to the New York Times. It was an educational publishing company. So I've been in publishing a very, very long time. After that, uh, I took a big bag of money and started a new venture and lost my shirt on that because it was in a depression time. But I decided to come back. And when I came back, it was a slow go. It took me a number of years to come back. And I shifted my business model a little bit, and I looked out. The first book I published under the Bard Press imprint was a book about Southwest Airlines. It's called Nuts. It's really the business story of success about Southwest called Airlines. called Nuts. Called Nuts, yeah. Nuts. Okay. And the year before, Herb Kelleher had been on Fortune magazine, and they said, is this America's best CEO? So it was a great time to launch the book. And it obviously, not obviously, but it made the bestseller list, and it was a huge success. So that was our first book. Great way to start. That's that's pretty good. That's pretty good. What do you say, you know, when people, or I'll just ask you, what's your one thing? Well, it's working with great people, with big ideas, to create extraordinary books, to sell lots of copies, lots of copies, and change people's lives. So... I can I can imagine that. Okay, surround work with great people, great people. who think really big, who mm -hmm. want to create an extraordinarily high quality product that mm -hmm. makes a big impact. Right. How did you end up connecting with Gary and Jay? Well, we live in the same town, or almost. I live out at the edge of Austin, and I didn't know about them. I don't know how I missed it, you know, because they were even. This has been six or seven years ago. You know, they were a presence in Austin then. But one of their one of their staffers, one of Jay's uh, staffers, called and said, "You know, we'd like to invite you to come in and spend some time talking with Gary and Jay about the book business." And uh, I said, "You know, I'm really pretty swamped right now. You know, can uh, call me back in a month?" And he said, "Okay." So he called back in a month, and 
Uh, he said, you know, just following up the call, would you like to come in? I said, you know, I'm still, I don't come to town very much anymore. Uh, you know, can you come back in a month or two? I said, so sure. So he called back. And in that time, he mentioned that they had a book that already sold a million copies. Well, then I took, I took the time. I took the time to listen a little bit and said, sure, I'd love to come in and meet with these guys. And so that's how got started. And one of the reasons for both of us, I think, was the complementary models. You know, my model about focusing on one book at a time and their idea about the one thing. They'd been working on the one thing, I don't know, several years then and had stacks and stacks of binders and research. And it was probably another year before you actually started on the book. Yeah. yeah. And, and just to show, I mean, how truly exceptional Ray is, I mean, let alone instead of doing hundreds of books a year, he does one every other year. Uh, you know, most publishers, after you publish your book, they're interacting with you for what, six, 10 weeks? Yeah, a short period of time. They get you out of the gate, they do some promotion, they get it out to the airport, they get it in Barnes & Noble, they get it on Amazon, they do that. And then it's on you. And they just up to you, it's true. And because they have another whole pipeline full of books coming in behind yours. Right. You are still standing here working with us, how many years later? Since... The one thing, yeah. yeah, it was published in 2013. Yeah. So April 2013. Going, going on five years, and we're still mm -hmm. sitting down mm -hmm. every quarter where mm -hmm. Ray's showing us the sales numbers. We're talking about from a marketing standpoint, how do we continue to drive? He's mm -hmm. bringing new ideas to the table. Mm -hmm. You're very engaged. Well, it's been a fantastic book. And if we started testing stuff early on, you guys are big believers in testing, and particularly airports, and we use a lot of sort of stuff that marketing stuff that work, and so we just kept building on it. And we're in a place now, there's so much positive word of mouth that it's not running on its own because we're still doing a huge amount of marketing. And as you know, we keep talking about ways to build, to keep building now. Yeah, you know, we're we're probably at about a million one, million two now. Yeah. And as you know, for our planning sessions, next up we're looking at two. When are we going to hit two? And then we're talking about three and five and, and then moving up the fire curve. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So let's let's talk to people about um, if somebody I said write a bestseller and, and you have a different way of expressing that. What is it? Well, the word make or create, because writing to me is just only one part of it. And I think of writing, I think of it's really creating the writing style. It's not so much the content. Obviously, the content's a key part of it. And for me, it's a huge part of it. Uh, and we'll talk about that in just a minute, I think, because that's the that's the one thing. If you don't get that right, nothing else really matters. Yeah. There's so much more that goes in behind the scenes, whether you're actually talking about creating an extraordinary book or in your professional life whether it's your product, whether it's your service. And this is where I'm really excited to tap into Ray's mind here, because when it comes to marketing and the way that he thinks about these things um, is really exceptional. And so I'm actually going to go ahead and flip over to the slides. Well, this is where you start. There's been a lot of changes in the book publishing world the last 20, 30 years. And the thing that the one thing that hasn't changed, and I think it's probably true of every market, is the customers felt need. We're starting back with the customers because if you don't take care of your customers, you're not going to, you're out of business. And the way that I think in terms of that is the felt need, which is another way to say that is their motivation to buy. And I'm not really talking about advertising the word felt in front of the need is their own purpose. 
uh, because it indicates that someone's aware of their need. Mm. Whereas if you have, if you're thinking in terms of advertising or very or needing to create the need, that's something different. It's it's their awareness about whatever they need. So and this this is timely for me because I've I've always recognized there's two types of problems people have. The problem they know they have and the problem they don't know they have yet. Yes. Right? Yes. And I've realized, especially in the business that we're building, big problem. People are not feeling like they're in control of their time. Mm-hmm. And for most people, it's not a conscious problem. Mm-hmm. It's a problem we're having to educate people on. Mm-hmm. And I think that's showing up in our numbers. Yes. But but back on the banker side, I think that's one reason the book has been so successful. There is... You know, when you read the jacket copy on the book and when when people look at the book and just that first engagement, there's a sense that something's not right with their life. Mm. They're, not, they're not living their best life. And so one of the things we're selling when you sell, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment, is hope. You know, this book is really selling hope, and it's that you can make tomorrow better than today. And you can get a lot more. Mm. And... It's the, the more or less uh, equation. Yeah. The, so so what does this exactly mean? So market depth, felt need. So on this, on this little matrix, um, the vertical is the size of the market. And that's the number of potential customers. And then on the horizontal is the market depth. It's really the strength of the felt need. And so let's start in the bottom left-hand corner, puddle. Well, when you think of, you know, it rains and there's a puddle in your yard or wherever you are, it's not very big and it's not very deep. But when you think of a book or anything that's a market, that's not a very good market because the it's a small, it's a small market and the felt need or motivation to buy is very, very low. And times, there's times published. If you think in the book world, poetry. It's not a very big market, and although it can be, people feel about poetry, it can be a little larger, but it's a very, very small market. Mm. And so if you go up vertical from that, you get the bayou. And if you're in south central Florida or south Florida or southern Louisiana, you can go out in the bayou and you can look for miles to the horizon and see water. And you think, wow. But that's a big head fake because the water may be only 18 inches deep. Mm. It may be huge, but it's not very deep. And what we have here on the graphic is that's the danger zone. Because what you get, that's on the far left-hand side of felt need, which means the felt need of motivation to buy is not very strong. There may be 10, 20, 50, 100 million people in that market. But if the felt need is not actionable, if, if it's not strong enough, for you to trade your product and service for their money and for to make it a good exchange, it's not going to work. Uh, and authors get faked out a lot there. And publishers do too. They publish books that are not very successful, but they fall in love with the idea. They become delusional. You know, they pub- they haven't really tested their market. They, they don't really have a good sense about whether or not it's going to work. So let's move up at the very top. That's the ocean. And so an ocean there is a huge market. It may be... 25 million, 50 million, 100 million. And it's over and on the far right hand side. So it's the felt need is very strong. And the book business, we often call those dissects of money. <laughs> those are the, those, so the, 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 the big seller topics. Those right? are the big sellers. And, uh, and the felt need is stronger, obviously. How many people are buying diet books or going on a diet yeah. regularly? It's huge. 
And money, that's where you get into personal finance category. Yeah. You know, Kawasaki's rich dad, poor dad. I think it's sold 25 million copies. Uh, and so that fits up. You know, that's not in a big, big ocean book, but it's up. And Fifty Shades of Grey. And no, that's your sex. And so that's sex and money. There you go. And so uh, I always said that's not in the business category, with the exception of Kawasaki, and that gets up there. Our little red book of selling is a combination between that last one down here, the well, and the ocean. When you think about a well, it's not very large, or it can be very large when you're way down and way down low, but the felt need is so strong that you can capture a huge percentage of that market. You may be able to capture 20, 30, 40, 50% of that market with your product or service. If it's unique, it offers a unique value proposition, you can capture a huge part of that. And oftentimes in a well market, it's much easier to identify and communicate with those uh, prospects. Interesting. And because if you move up into the ocean, and if you're trying to communicate with 100 million or 200 million people or 50 million, that means you're using mass mass marketing. Yeah, uh, you can't be doing e-commerce. Though. You could be doing lots and lots of emails and other sort of blasts to go out. In social media, you can reach the ocean, but your marketing strategies are going to vary a lot between you know the ocean and the well there. So what I'm hearing you say is you don't want to be on the left side. You don't want to be a puddle. You don't want to be a bayou because even if like in a bayou where it could be a big market. People aren't actually motivated to buy the thing. That's right. You want to be on the right side where the need is really deep, whether it be an ocean where there's tons of people or it can be more niche. And and for many people in this audience, this will resonate with you. This book right here, Mm -hmm. Millionaire Real Estate Agent, has sold over a million copies in an industry of 1.2 million people. Turnover. <laughs> Look at that penetration. And, yeah. and for those of you, if you if you listen to the one thing, when Keller Williams was, Gary was trying to grow and it wasn't getting the dominance that they thought it should have had, he challenged his executives to come back to him with a hundred ideas mm-hmm. on what they could do to take KW to that next level. And when they worked it all the way down to the one thing that they could do such that by doing it would establish KW as a dominant force, it was to write this book. Mm-hmm. What a deal. What a, and it what a strategy. And it did it. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. If, if you're, you're talking to somebody who's listening to this or watching this later, would you advise that they, if they had to pick between an ocean and a well, what would you say? Business books are mostly wells. Every once in a while, you will get, you'll move from that well up uh, into the ocean. The danger of a well is that there may not be enough people there. Mm. And part of it is the other variable in there, and it's your margin. If you have a very thin margin, you need to sell lots of any product or service. If you had a huge margin, you can go to a well, and maybe with only two, 300 customers. If you're selling commercial real estate, yeah, you don't need to sell thousands of properties to make a very good living. But if you're Walmart... Right. You know, your margin, most of the big the big boxes and the grocery stores, their margins are very, very thin. So they have to sell a huge amount of product. Part of that is your margin and the size. And the other one is how well you communicate with them or can communicate with them. How can you reach them? And what do you have to offer them? So I started to begin to think about what are we actually selling? You know, when you pick up a book, you look at a book and sell well. Well, we're actually not selling trees. I mean, these are trees here in a different form. And you're not selling ink, obviously. Well, my first thought was we're selling information. Obviously, we're selling ideas. Okay. So what else are we selling? Well, we're selling how-to. 
I get results. You know, the subtitle of this book is Extraordinary Results. And if you, in the latter part of the book, time blocking, lots of good how-to stuff about not only how do you think about the one thing and create the concept and, and put it to use. And then you go to the very back of the book, yep. the, door, the door hanger. That's a how-to piece. Which, do you guys know that at the back of the book, there's this door hanger that you can cut out and hang on your door. So if you can't say no, it says no for you. Yeah. We'll get into, into the design in just a little bit. Yeah. And so, so that's the second thing. We're selling information or a concept, mm-hmm. what I call the big idea. And you, I think it needs to be one big idea. If you can't describe what your one big idea in your book is, or if you can't describe in your company what your big service is. And the one thing talks about that, I can't remember which chapter, eight or ten or whatever, that you know, Jane and Gary talk about, you yeah. know, if you look at the successful business models is real clear about what their one thing is. Uh, and so here on the idea, you need to be able to identify what your one thing is. And then it's the how-to part about that. And then the third thing, and this is something that a lot of times we take for granted and we really haven't identified, and that's hope. And almost all the books, certainly in the night, sex, and money, uh, and in business books too, you're making a promise if you give me $25 or if you take this concept, this big idea, and put it to work, I will change your life in some way. Mm. That's your implicit promise. You're saying, let's make this exchange and I'll change your life. And that's selling hope. Mm. And, and a lot of times we just don't think about it and about how we, how we phrase our language and how we frame ourselves messages. Is about 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 selling selling hope, and then for a long time I used those three uh, as working with my clients and doing seminars and stuff, and then I kept thinking, well, there's some business books like Blink and Freakonomics. I thought, well, you know, Freakonomics really you know, it has a kind of a core, it's got a core idea, and if there's no how-to in Freakonomics, and there's really not any how-to in Blink, they're not really selling a lot of hope. I thought, well, what are these guys selling? And I came up with entertainment. Mm. And so there's so many entertainment. And, you know, with Gladwell, a lot of it is his writing stuff. And if you write very well, that can be entertainment. It's just good to sit down and read. It flows well. Uh, it's storytelling. There's a lot of storytelling. When you talk about entertainment, storytelling is one of the very best forms of entertainment. Yeah. Uh, and when you're, if you're crafting a book, if you're putting together the pieces in your book, you know, stories both entertain and they give hope. You get a double hit on stories. Yeah. And so think in terms of those four things. And when you look at your message, identify your big thing. And do you have how to? And if so, then the question is how much how to? And sometimes we want to pack too much how to in a book. Yeah, it's overwhelming. Uh, and it gets to be overwhelming. And if you take the Mars Briggs, understand about 40 the popul- 40% of the population really looks for how-to. So you don't want to lose them, uh, that, that large of But you can also put so much how-to in it, it looks like a workbook. And if it's being sold at Barnes & Noble or at the airports or someplace like that, or even your own network, unless you're selling it as a workbook. You know, if you're doing a book about design your life, or a business plan. How do you create a business plan for your business? Those are workbooks, obviously. Yeah. You're going through a process or a system to get a specific result. But the the one that I really challenge your readers to think about is hope. 
how can you become more persuasive about selling hope? And the first way is to become aware of how you're selling it and what your word choices are. So I'm pulling back and I'm saying, all right, whether I'm writing a book or whether it's in my business mm -hmm. where I'm creating a product, I'm creating a solution. Like you said, the words is only a small fraction of it. The first thing that is even asking, who am I serving? What's my market? Am I making sure that there is a deep felt need? Mm -hmm. How deep is mm -hmm. the market? What's my ability to communicate with these people? Because mm -hmm. what I've heard from you, Ray, is, is you're not just sitting in your room writing a book or creating a product or service and crossing your fingers and hoping that it's going to work. You kept saying testing. That's right. You know, the lean, the lean business concept, which we're all familiar with for the last 10 years, is testing, testing, testing. You start small and you go test and test and test. And the other way is to look around for comps. You know, for those of you in the real estate business, you know the story about comps. Uh, and for us in the book world, we search out similar books and see what their sales history is. And that's gotten a lot e easier. There's a service called BookScan that reports every book that has an ISBN number. It reports those sales. You can get it by subscription. And so we can see, we can go discover the sales of, of books. And so you could go actually see what your competitors are doing. It's really pretty cool. See what they're, see how they're selling or other books, whatever you're doing your research on, you can mm -hmm. look and see what the comp books are. And then you go talk to your customers. You set up some sort of testing, feedback, uh, some level of involvement. You know, whatever you're, if you're creating a product, oftentimes when you buy inventory, that's where you chucked out a bunch of money. You know, whatever, whether or not it's a book, as a product, as an inventory, or whether or not it's, you know. A widget. Widget, you name it. What, you know, cars. I mean, you go through. When you get into that, if you will, manufacturing stage, it becomes that's where it becomes venture capital heavy, you know, where you're bucking. Right. And so it's leading up to that, deciding on go or no go. And then if it's go, how many? I mean, and so part of that's testing your marketing strategies. You know, we're back to hope and how to, you know, what's your, you know, you're testing your marketing a, a long uh, time. You know, we did a project recently called Fired Up Selling Project, and we created, uh, thank you, Jeff. Uh, these new book, folks. We're going to talk about this. You're going to want to get this, by the way. Well, what was so cool, what for me was so cool about that is that I went to my prospects, my customers, and asked them what worked for them, and there were so many surprises. I changed some of my assumptions. If I had done the book initially, well, real it, quick, what is Fired Up Selling? The Fired Up Selling is a collection of inspirational quotes. And, you know, there are a lot of quote books out there, but what makes this one unique? It's just for salespeople. Although a lot of other people tell me now they love the inspiration I get from it that are not salespeople. And so I did a search. We're back to determining the market. For years, I've been collecting inspirational quotes. And so maybe six or eight years ago, I thought, well, maybe I'll publish a little book. And so I went out and did a search and found hundreds, maybe thousands of little inspirational quote books. And I thought, well, that was a great idea. And so, but I still kept collecting quotes. And then so finally, I thought, well, who really needs quotes? We're back to felt need. We're back to felt need here. And so I thought I came up with two answers, entrepreneurs and salespeople. 
They need inspiration more than anyone else. Because we're always getting our butts kicked. <laughs> That's right. Rejection. You know, you're you're swimming against the tide. I mean, you're you have invisible goals. They're in your head, but nobody else can see them. And parents. And, and parents. I mean, all of that. It's just, uh, and you know, I'm sure we have a lot of salespeople, entrepreneurs on the on the podcast today. I mean, they know what that is, and so it's the. I thought, well, wow, there's a felt need there. So I went back to Amazon saying, okay, there's probably a whole ton of books with inspirational quote books for salespeople. And it was zero. I couldn't believe it. Uh, the same thing happened to me on a little red book of selling. I thought, you know, Harvey Pennick's little red book of golf is the best-selling sports book of all time. And I obviously knew about that, Austin guy. And so when, when I had the idea about doing a little book with Jeffrey, I thought, surely that book's been done. And I went to Amazon, and no one had published the Little Red Book of Sully. And I went to Jeffrey and said, it's out here. Do you want it? And he said, absolutely. So we did it. And so part of that is – And now it's the best-selling sales book of all time. Yes, thank you. And so <laughs> so the so again, that was testing the market, looking at comps. And so I said, okay, let's do it. There's been one or two books since then, quote books for salespeople. So the dilemma that I had, I had thousands and thousands of quotes on my hard drive. And so which of those to put in the book? Hmm. And I began to you think. You mean all the things that you could do and what's the one or few that you close. should do? Oh, that's and interesting. How do you, how do you, you know, pull it down? So I had a number of strategies and I finally got to the idea about crowdsourcing. Create a project and invite people to be quote judges, to judge the quotes. And so we set up a system, and I first thought, well, if I have 100 or 200 people that will help me judge these, it'll be cool. It'll work there. And I put it out of my network, Jay and a bunch of other folks, you know, and 1,200 people around the world signed up. And I thought, that's a good sign. Uh, so, so, there were, so that was a test. That was a test. So there were 1,200 quote judges around the world, and twice a week, early in the morning, we would send out a collection of 15 quotes in survey booking. We use the old-fashioned survey booking. And people would vote, okay, good or great. They'd read a quote, and pow, they'd vote, okay, good or great. Another would pop up, okay, good or great, pow. And so it would take them about five or six minutes. You know, they'd go out 6 o'clock in the morning. They'd be waiting every Tuesday and Thursday. And so the project lasted a year. They voted on 1,005 quotes. And we picked 324. We picked the top 324 in the book. And then we also, and this is what radically changed the book. I thought of it as a business book, having business images and that sort of stuff in it. And I sent them a, a list out to the quote judges of about 12, 13 things, a list. And I asked them, which of these things inspire you? Number one was nature. And so what's, what's in the book or nature images. You know, there, there's no, there's no, there's no cell phones. There's no computer images. There's no, there's no people doing jumping up and giving high fives. There's, there's none of that stuff. No fast cars. No fancy watches. No high heel shoes. No, you know, coat and ties. There's none of that in the book, because I think people get it. What the aha for me was, yeah, that makes sense. People get enough of that every day. So they're looking for a, a fresh look. And so that completely changed our design. We threw our own old design away and we re redesigned it around nature then. And so they, the quote judges voted on over a hundred images that we sent out and they would vote, okay, good or great. And so we, we built that. And so on the cover design, the pricing, a whole bunch of stuff. 
uh, I asked the customers and just you know, kept getting feedback and so, keep making adjustments. So let's pause because this is just a huge lesson for business in general. You didn't pretend to assume what people wanted. You know, you found out that there was a big felt need, there was a, a big market, okay, worth exploring. And then you just asked people and 1,200 people raised their hand, that's a good sign, mm -hmm. right? And you could have sat in your house out in Lake Travis and, you know, living a good life, writing your book, been all good. Mm -hmm. But by interacting with people, they shaped the quotes, they shaped the images, mm -hmm. they shaped the design, mm -hmm. they created your book. Yes, they did. Folks, what have we done with every single product we have ever created for the one thing? Founding members for a reason. We didn't pretend to know what your biggest challenges were going to be time blocking and forming power habits. Our founding members told us. We didn't pretend to know what your biggest challenges were going to be living your one thing. Our founding members told us. Everything we've created is radically different because we first and foremost worked with you and you told us what you needed it to look like. And we delivered. Mm -hmm. yes. How many of you right now, when you look at what you're creating, whether it be product, service, how you're serving your customers, are you making an assumption on what they want? If so, put number one in the question box. And how many of you are actively asking first and customizing the product or experience to their needs? Put a number two in the questions box. And I'm accepting, I'm expecting a majority of number ones, by the way. So if you're a one, Take yourself off the hook. You're like everybody else. I'm just curious where, where the, the benchmark is in this community. All right, very cool. Okay, so the other thing that comes with this, and I suspect it is, or I hope for that, is people's involvement. And I didn't know how long they were going to last. I didn't know it was going to last a year. I thought after probably three or four months, I would you know, finish. But I kept testing because one of the things that I learned People love the quotes and they love giving their opinion. People love to give their input and their opinion. And so I kept making it, I kept making it better. And so one of the things I learned is that our open rates were really high. And we had a core, there were some people that when they signed up, they didn't, you know, they left or they didn't do much. And there was another group that would vote periodically, but there was a huge core that would vote every time. There were some people that, that I think that voted on every quote. And so what do we have here? We have super fans. Mm. We have a whole group of enthusiastic super fans. And so when the book came out, everybody got a free copy of the book uh, and they loved the book. They went on Amazon. And you know, if you go to Amazon now, there's brave reviews on Amazon. Uh, and they've told their friends, they bought copies, Christmas presents, and I continue to engage them, you know, and it'll go back for them to get ideas. And yep. so here's a huge marketing grassroots-based organization or group that I can go to for advice. How many of you have read the Kevin Kelly article about a thousand raving fans? Mm -hmm. yeah. If you have not, Google Kevin mm -hmm. Kelly thousand raving fans. Yeah, great story. It's, great it's, idea. it's the idea that all you need to have a successful thriving business is a thousand raving fans, a thousand people who will read your emails, listen to your podcast, read your blog posts, buy your products, like whatever you put out, they are going to consume and invest in a raving fan, diehard living and breathing your brand. Mm -hmm. How many of you are consciously thinking about on a day-to-day -day basis about how you can turn a customer 
into a raving fan, mm -hmm. into an advocate. Yep. That's something, I mean, in all of our meetings, you're always showing us that slide about mm -hmm. who's the raving fans, mm -hmm. what can we do to engage yes. the raving fans? Yes. And the, the big one, I think, is engagement. And so that's, that was a great learning for me about the project, to crowdsource that and get people involved. And I've done that to some degree before, but this was really a big breakthrough. And so you've heard me preach about it in our in our marketing meetings. And so I'm just a big believer in it. And what I've what I've done now, I started a, a new service about two three months ago for, called 55 Second Fire Up, mm. and that means in less than one minute every morning at six o'clock in the morning in your mailbox, there's two inspirational quotes and two humorous one-liners. And you can do it in less than a minute. In fact, we've actually, when I when we're talking about selling hope, you know, my line, 55 second, obviously that's a marketing hook. And I didn't know whether or not it could really be done in less than a minute. But we can, in SurveyMonkey, we can see in 39 seconds, 51 seconds, people are doing less than a minute. So it's in their mailbox. They click, they read, they get the inspiration, they get to hear, and they're out of there. And so... And they're also judging those. They're voting on those. Mm. And so now I probably have a hundred really great quotes. And so I'm third of the way to book two. There you go. There you go. If people want to check out that, where, where can they go to get on that list? FiredUpSellingProject.com. Okay. FiredUpSellingProject.com. And you guys, if you want to check out the book, it's on Amazon. For the people of Surprise, the people who are here live, um, we're going to send, uh, I'm going to give Ray, I'm going to export the list, and you'll get an email from his team. If you just reply with your address, he's going to ship you a free copy of the book. <laughs> and um, just because we want to say thank you for taking your time to be here with us live. So yes. part of the ways that we are trying to build raving fans. Mm -hmm. So for the people who are here who actually just heard that, yeah! Sandra's like, yeah, woohoo! Jackie, yes! <laughs> um, folks, what questions do you have? And we got about 20 minutes left. I want to make sure that we really cater this to you. I'll, I'll do another recap mm -hmm. just to make sure that we really drive this home. But whether you're talking about creating a bestseller, whether you're talking about just having a really valuable business, the product isn't even the product. Like that's, that's only a small portion of it. But how deep is the felt need? How big is your market? What's your plan for actually communicating and engaging with these people? Are you strategically thinking in advance how you can test the ideas with people so you're not just making an assumption, which we know what happens when you assume, right? How can you actually test and partner with your customers to deliver something that's really going to work for them? And how do you turn them into raving fans? We haven't even talked about the writing. Hmm, interesting, right? Well, if you're doing a book... You could find a good editor, but you finding an idea, a big idea that has a big market with a huge felt need is another thing. Writers don't do that. Mm. You have to do that as an entrepreneur, as a business person. Mm. And so you can find editors and writers and other people to help you do that. And some of you may be pretty good writers, but you always need an editor. You always need someone. And whether or not you're publishing it through someone in New York or publishing it yourself, you have to start with felt need. If you don't do that, nothing else matters. If that's not your one, if you don't take care of your one thing, you're in trouble. I didn't even have to pay him to say that. <laughs> <laughs> what are your questions, guys? I'd love to answer them. You know, right, Ray, I'm curious. Uh, if I am serious about creating a book, going traditional publishing versus self-publishing, I mean, it's so easy today to self-publish. What, what value does a traditional publisher bring? 
the big thing is two things and distribution, get it in retail stores, get it in Barnes and Noble, get it at airports. And that's and why does that matter? That's where you reach a large mass audience. The option that wasn't there 20 years ago was Amazon. I'm not sure how long when Amazon started, but probably 20, 25 years ago. It used to be that the only way you really reached a mass audience and get distribution is go through the traditional publishers. You could do it yourself, but it's very, very challenging, and you have to find a distributor to do that. And it's still challenging. In fact, one of the things that's happening in the publishing world over the last several years is like many other interests, that a lot's come down consolidation. The big guys have bought up the little guys, and you know it's yeah. been, been all that. So there's fewer and fewer very large publishers. And there's probably fewer books being published by the big houses. There are fewer books being published by the big houses. But there's been a huge boom in self-publishing. And what's made that happen is the digital revolution, all the way from the supply chain, from the from creating the product, you know, Adobe was a known and felt fairly recent, <laughs> and then created digital products, ebooks as an example on that, and then print on demand is another great example coming off the digital yeah. revolution. It used to be that you had to buy a thousand to three thousand books if you were going to self-publish, so you had to put a chunk in inventory. You know, there was your cost, but you can test you can test that now. By printing one copy or a hundred copies, mm. and then a lot of times, if you're self-publishing, you get a pretty good manuscript together, and you maybe print fifty or hundred or two hundred copies, and you go test it. You get it out to people in your network, some of your clients and <laughs> prospects, let them read it, and then you do another edition, and a year later, six months later, you come out with a better book because you learn from that, you test from that. Yeah, that's what I was doing with the project. Uh, I was getting the content out and having people vote on the content that they wanted in their book. You know, that's another way to do it is to print a very small number. What you, I think there's three things that you trade off. One is time, cost, and quality. You can't do quality yourself. And the New York houses aren't great on quality. You know, this book, if it were published in New York, wouldn't look quite this good. And this book, certainly, I mean, with the, the color and all the extra work in it and the three ribbons and all this extra sort of stuff. But if you want to spend the time and money in your self-publishing program to do that, you can do that. The time is a variable, the biggest variable for most people self-published. The New York houses, you have an idea, you put together a book proposal, a lot like a, a proposal to take your to banker if you want to get it funded, uh, an idea funded. You find an agent, it's a good idea, and then they go shop it. And if, if they get a contract, a publishing contract with somebody in New York, it may take 12 to 24 months before the book comes out. And so most entrepreneurs and most speakers, consultants that are using their book for the business don't want to wait two years, 18, 36 months. The other is the cost. If you go to New York, they pay for it out of their bank account. If you do it yourself, you pay for it out of your bank account. So those are the trade-offs. So, and I'll, and I'll summarize, if you go New York publisher, um, they're going to get you distribution that you may not be able to get otherwise. They front the cost and the check. It may take longer. Um, the downside of that is they kind of own you. They do. And let me do the distribution part of that. That's one of the other things that's changed. If you go back to the early 80s, before then, Peter Drucker was the business book guy. And it was they were fat and dull. And, <laughs> the, and then there came along One Minute Manager in Search of Excellence, uh, Iacocca. Those were the early big business books bestseller. And that began the business book boom. 
And now there are over 12,000 business books published every year. So think about when you go to Barnes & Noble and look at the business book section, it's not a whole lot bigger than Jay's wall here. Yeah, I'll flip the camera. And so, you know, it's probably three or four times that. And so there's only a few hundred business books there. And some of those are like Who Moved My Cheese and all those other books that have been printed in a long time. And so there's not a lot of space there. So yeah. if you're one of those 12,000 in a year, the probability of you getting great distribution is not very strong, even with the New York House, unless you're a big name with a big platform and have a fantastic idea. Yeah. So, you know, I hear Jay talk about this all, all the time. Like he often encourages people to self-publish first because you maintain control. Mm -hmm. You actually make tremendously more money because you actually keep the margins. And the only real reason to go with the bigger publisher is if it matters to you that you hit like a New York Times right. bestseller where they care if you have yes. traditional distribution. Right. It's true. And that's when I was creating my business model I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, I tried to do two things. We're back to recent trout and differentiate, differentiate. I was looking for two things, distribution and bestseller list. Those are the two things that self-publishing folks usually cannot do. It's such a challenge. So I try to do that. Well over half of our books have made a national bestseller list. In fact, I think of that seven you talked about, all of those have made a national bestseller list. And two of them have sold over a million, which you guys know how rare that is now. So that's pretty cool. So if you're an average person, not a publisher, how would you get access to testing audiences? What do you say to the person who doesn't have a, 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 a podcast, an email list, a big following, and they still want to create something? They need to test it. Yes, you just you begin with the people that are closest to you and you know the inner circle, if you will. Uh, and that may be your aunt and uncle or your cousin or whomever it is. Those are not the best people to test it on. <laughs> those those are the people that are closest to you. But you, when you go into your tribe or your community, then you're getting into your customer or client base usually. And so... Pull together a list. It may be 20, 30, 50, 200, or whatever. And you build a little questionnaire or you do interviews. Yeah. You show them samples. You create samples. You do. You write short chunks, essays, or short chapters to let them read it, give you feedback. And the farther away you get away from your grandmother reading those, which is always going to tell you good things. They encourage you because that's what grandmas do, the better. You know, you want to find people that are usually not your friends that will be brutally frank and tell you whether or not it'll work. In fact, if you can do your testing so that they won't know who you are, it's even better. Mm. So if, if you could use someone else's network and do testing in their network, so you may have a good friend that's in the same marketplace or can go into that marketplace for you and essentially sponsor your testing, that gives you some separation so that your feedback is a lot more valuable. Can I ask that question? So, Jackie, um, when I was still in medical sales and I wanted to start a business on the side, I had heard of this idea of pre-selling and validating with your customers. And I didn't have an email list. I didn't have a podcast. I had nothing. I'm just an employee. And I remember asking the question, who is my customer and what's their problem? Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking people who are stuck in a day job who want to go to entrepreneur mm -hmm. who, are, who, who are lost. Mm -hmm. And so what I did is I started joining Facebook groups of people who are interested in right. entrepreneurship. I started going to right. meetup groups, talking to people who were interested in getting into entrepreneurship and just asking them questions, not even trying to sell anything. And I kept hearing the same thing over and over again. How do I find a mentor? How do I upgrade my five? 
Mm-hmm. And I launched a podcast based on it and it hit top 20 in all of business and it mm-hmm. turned into a six figure business in under 12 months. And that's the whole reason I'm standing here now. Mm-hmm. Great so story. It required yep. a little yep. sweat and equity to get out there and do it, but there's a way for it to be done. And most people already have a base, you know, a social media base, whether it's Facebook or LinkedIn. LinkedIn is such a great business platform. It's to create some ways uh, to test your idea or yeah, product or service. Really and you just keep testing. You know, a lot of these folks have probably read the Lean Startup books. You know, they, there's ideas. That, and that is just do your, keep doing the research, keep testing. And and let me, for, for the person, you know, Jackie, if that's you, where... Um, that seems like and maybe seems like an insurmountable task because I know um, that's what I thought. Remember what the purpose of a goal is to be appropriate in the moment, to have clarity on where you want to go or what you want to accomplish so that you can look back right now and ask who's the person I need to show up as right now. What are the habits I need to acquire that would carry me toward that goal? So it's not that you go out and talk to 100 people in the next week, but how can you develop the habits of being the type of person who surrounds yourself with your customer mm-hmm. and is deeply interested in how you can serve them. Mm-hmm. One thing. Don't need. <laughs> right? Hey, you like that one. She went, mm, I got an mm out of her. That's her way of saying good, Jeff. <laughs> All right, next. Do ebooks have value? Do ebooks have value? They do. Uh, convenience is a big one. You know, you could you know pack 3,000 of them in your briefcase. That's what Amazon sells. That's one of the things. It's a big convenience. It's interesting. And I still don't quite understand why. Ebooks peaked in sales numbers about two years ago. They've been decreased. They didn't, or they haven't plunged, but they just kind of turned over. Mm-hmm. And print sales are actually up. I saw some new numbers a couple of weeks ago. And I don't still quite understand that trend. I mean, do you read? Only ebooks, or do you read both? Uh, I ninety-eight percent of my consumption is audio. Yeah. Okay. Just because I move too fast, and getting yeah. me to sit down yeah. and to read a physical book, it is a real commitment, mm. and I will never read an ebook. Yeah. Yeah. What yeah. about you guys? Curious. What's your primary method of choice? Mine. No, no, no. Oh, those, those folks. They'd be interested to know. What about you? I mix. It depends on what it is. If it's a book I want to keep, if it's in a category, historical fiction is big for me. And if it's a book and an author, you know, I still old fashioned. I have a huge amount of books in my play. But if it's something, if I'm going to the coast and don't want to carry a bunch of books, you know, it's on the ebook. Sometimes it'll be both. Yeah. There's just a huge convenience. And so the, and you can, you can manipulate it. Obviously, when you change the type size, you know, the lighting, there's a whole bunch of advantage. You can read it in bed. There's a whole. One of the values when you think about that idea of testing to get a book into ebook format. I mean, there's some cost to get, you know, it into the format, but you're not actually paying for inventory mm-hmm. and warehousing. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about a test of concept, that's valuable there. And I mean, it's pretty good margin on those. Absolutely. And again, Amazon's the great, you know, the big scoreboard in the sky to be able to get feedback on, on what you're doing. And ebooks a way to test that. You know, you could do relatively inexpensive. You can play with the pricing. There's just yeah. a whole lot of feedback you get and a lot of fun to do that. Cool. And you, and you might even actually make some money on your ebook, but it can tell you that can it's a one point of feedback about the film need. There you go. From the publishing standpoint, how do you review proposals and decide on your one book every two years? So, questions from a publishing standpoint, like Ray, how do you uh, review your proposals and decide what you're going to take on? Well, the first is 
This is the big idea. Is the author tall and handsome? Uh, that's second. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's not the one thing. Uh, Sorry, Jay. First thing is back to the big idea. What is a big idea? And there's very few new ideas. But can, how can that be reframed or framed so that it's fresh? I look at that. In fact, I, when I was talking Gary and Jay about the one thing, I said, they're talking about a book about focus. I said, guys, you know, there's already a ton of books about focus. Uh, Al Reese did one 25 years ago. And there's been a ton of them. David Allen, you know, there's a bunch of folks out there. And I said, no, so okay, what makes your book special? And Gary said, here's the question. And he did the question. What's the one thing I can do? That's it. it. Everything else is easy. And I said, that's it. I don't know anyone that's done that. That's it. And so the question there, so then that flipped a switch for me. Before then, it was just a conversation with some guys that love doing books and and have obviously been very successful business people. And so that clicked for me. I thought, well, this book can work then. And so then you shift over, and I make that shift very quickly. A lot of times it's almost parallel, but you have to start here. And then part of that is the idea and how it matches felt need. Mm. And I already knew there's a pretty strong felt need. And so I didn't have to do a whole lot of work at that stage. And then you move over to the platform. For me, if I want to, my business model says I have to sell lots of books. Yeah. And so I asked the question, have these guys sold lots of books before? And can they do it again? What's their motivation? Do they have the resources? And check, 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 check. All, all those checked out. There's that part of it. But there's an actually, there's another piece. If you remember when I said my one thing, I said work with great people. And what I mean great people uh, in a couple of ways. One is who those people are and if they're people of character. Because in my business model, I get to choose it. I'm fortunate enough that I have a lot of people knocking on the door and, you know, I don't have space for everybody. So I get to be selected. The idea about spending, as I have with you guys, you know, three or four or five years, and I'm still going to be working with you guys for a long time. And so that model means it's a close relationship. When you're having a close relationship, working business relationships, you want it to be a good relationship, period. And so that's another part of my can. But the New York houses, they're more transactional. You know, they publish an author in the book, you know. But my business model is more relationship-based. And so I, I look look for that. How they'd work with, you know. Yeah. Are they going to be fun to work with? And what can I learn with them? Those are the two questions. I love it. I love it. Well, folks, um, Ray Bard, thank you very it's been much. been a pleasure. Folks, yeah. for, and again, for the people who were here live, you will receive an email from Ray's team. All you have to do is reply to that email with your shipping address, and he will send you a copy of Fired Up Selling. For those of you who are watching this later on YouTube or on our website, you can go to Amazon, get a copy of the book, Fired Up Selling Project. Fun. To sign up for 55 seconds, it's firedupsellingproject.com. And when you get your email with the free book offer, it'll come from Good folks at fireduppersolving.com. You are good folk. Yeah, that's right. We <laughs> that's are. That's very nice. And so then it'll, it'll, we'll probably have it a subject, you know, your free book or something like that to make it easy. So look for something from good folks at fireduppersolving.com. Awesome. And uh, so thank you very much, folks. We really appreciate you. We love you. And if there's anything we can do to support you, please let us know. Thanks. Well, there you have it. My conversation with publisher of The One Thing and The Little Road Book of Selling, Ray Bard. Folks, one of, I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine, Jeff Hoffman, who was on the founding team of Priceline.com. 
He talked about this idea of info sponging, looking outside of your industry for innovation, ideas that you can bring into your industry that would have an extraordinary impact. When I listen to the conversation with Ray, it's just so clear to me this is not just about books. This is about business overall. This is about customer service. It's about serving people at the highest level. When you look at what you do, is there a deep felt need? Is it a small market? Is it a big market? Are you selling hope? Are you clearly showing people the path and a vision, something that will inspire them and give them hope in their life? Out of everything you heard, what's the one thing that you can take action on? Would you dare actually open up your calendar and schedule 15 minutes for you to put together a plan on how you can actually put it into action? As always, we really appreciate you being here with us, investing your time with us. We hope that you will guarantee yourself a return on investment by taking action. For those of you who will be joining us here at the end of November, we cannot wait to meet you in person. And if you have not yet gotten your ticket, please go to theonething.com slash event. And finally, make sure to go on Amazon and check out Fired Up Selling so you can support Ray. I'm holding a copy of the book right now. And this thing is just, it's, it's first class. It's a really great book. Uh, lots of inspiration in there and things just to keep you centered throughout the day. So thank you so much, folks. We look forward to being with you in the next episode. 